Welcome to another exciting episode of Carving the Divine TV. My name is Yujiro Seki. I'm a director, writer, and producer of a documentary Carving the Divine. Carving the Divine is about the Buddhist sculptors of Japan, and I'm ready to present it for the first time in the world. But before I do so, I thought it would be a great idea to introduce basic concept of Buddhism and the history of Buddhism so that when you guys finally watch my documentary, you guys can watch it at the maximum value. So today, day this, all your questions will be answered. Finally, we have opportunity to uh, talk to Zen priest, Soto Zen priest. He's been in business for a long time, and uh, it is almost impossible for somebody uh, like this uh, important come to uh, our show and talk about uh, Zen Buddhism. But I would love to introduce you, you guys. So welcome, welcome, Reverend Taigen Leitim. Welcome. Glad to be here. Great, great. So uh, yes, uh, in case uh, for the people who don't know anything about you, uh, please, please introduce yourself. Okay, I've been practicing uh, Zazen and Zen meditation and studying uh, Soto Zen teachings and other Buddhist teachings for a long time. Um, since I, my first teacher, beginning of 1975, I've been practicing every day. But I started practice, I started, uh, my first inspiration to really practice came from looking at Buddhist statues in Kyoto and Nara in 1970. But uh, I, I trained mostly at San Francisco Zen Center in the lineage of Shunryu Suzuki Roshi, Soto Zen, a Japanese master who came to America in the 60s. Uh, I practiced at San Francisco Zen Center in their city center and their Green Gulch Farm in Marin and Tassajara Monastery in, in Monterey County. I also have been uh, practicing in Japan. Um, I lived in Kyoto for a couple of years after my first visit and also uh, trained with Japanese uh, Zen teachers. Um, so, um, and I started, uh, I, I'm now the teacher at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, which is a small temple in Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. So uh, anybody who's near Chicago, please come and visit us. Uh, we have regular meditation and teaching. So that's where, and I've also uh, translated and written numbers of books about Zen, particularly about Dogen, who founded Soto Zen in the 13th century. So uh, I can keep going, but uh, do you have other questions? <laughs> great, great. Thank you so much. So thank you so much. It, you know, we know a lot about you now, so great. So uh, I'm gonna ask you a loaded question first. Uh, I know that uh, uh, people have a different answer to this question, but I would like to ask you this. So what is Zen to you? Please tell us. Zen is about, well, Zen involves meditation. That's what the word Zen means. But it's also about uh, um, expressing, embodying and expressing Buddha in our body, in our life, in our everyday activity. So we learn this through deep communion with uh, Buddha reality through Zazen, through, through Zen meditation. And then uh, we work on how to express this and in our everyday activity. Beautiful. 
So what is the Soto Zen then? So what is the core teaching of that? Well, I just said it, that Soto Zen emphasizes meditation, but also teachings from uh, uh, Ehei Dogen, who the founder in Japan, but also going back to the lineage in China, which I can talk about, goes back to, um, well, the 800s or the 600s, depending on how you want to see it. And uh, there's a consistency in the particular uh, Soto Zen lineage. In Chinese, it's Saodong is pronounced. But um, the Soto Zen, as it is today, and in Japan and in the United States, emphasizes meditation, but also uh, expressing uh, the awareness that we realize through meditation in our everyday activity and in our relationships and in our responses to the difficulties of our world. Hmm. So uh, when I hear about Soto Zen, people often say a gradual enlightenment or whatever, but you know, uh, so this gradual enlightenment is uh, pretty much like a, a through Zazen, uh, you achieve uh, some particular state of mind. That's, that's what you mean? No, not at all. Oh, really? Uh, so it's, not, it's not about achieving some particular state of mind. The first, it's not, and it's not really gradual, it's sudden. Uh, but, it's sudden but what that means is that uh, already Buddha awakening, Buddha means, Buddha means the awakened one, but it also means awakening. And that is something that's always available to everybody. So when we sit, we are sitting like Buddha. We are upright, relaxed, aware, paying attention. We sit in this Soto's in with our eyes open, facing the wall usually, uh, and facing ourselves and facing all beings. So the Zazen practice is the samadhi of all beings, the concentration, the awareness of all beings. We don't do this alone. We sit together in, in the meditation hall, but we also sit to, together with all beings when we sit just by ourselves in our home, we're together with all beings. We realize our deep communion with this deeper reality that includes everything, everything. So uh, it's not about, so the first time you sit, Dogen says, uh, when, uh, the first time you sit, all of, all of awakening is there, but we practice regularly, um, daily or many times a week, to, over years, because that unfolds in many ways. So it's not about reaching some particular state of mind or state of being. Uh, it's not about getting rid of thoughts. It's about being present in the middle of our life, being fully present uh, to our life and for our life and with all beings in our life. And how do we express then this deeper awareness that is, that is immediate? It's not that we gradually realize it. We may gradually under, realize uh, how this is already present, but it's not about finding out something that's not already here. Mm. That's something that, uh, that I was probably misunderstanding. So thank you for correcting me, sir. So uh, yeah, you mentioned a little bit about the uh, history of uh, Soto, but you know, uh, if we can uh, get to know a little bit about the uh, Soto, that would be great. So can you tell us? Well, uh, Soto or Tsaodong in Chinese goes back to um, its founders in China, the Soto lineage. There are many different line lineages in Zen. So it's not that, uh, that, that our lineage is the only lineage. And we study 
teachers from other lineage and, the, and the part of part of Soto Zen appreciating the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and the Buddhist statues, but also appreciating the ancestors, we say, the Buddha, the Buddha ancestors, the, the lineage of people uh, going back to Shakyamuni Buddha 2,500 years ago who kept this alive in every generation, who kept this practice and teaching alive in every generation. So uh, in China and then in, in Japan, lineages were very, was very important less so before in India, but the Soto or Tsaodong lineage, we could say started, uh, we could say it's, it's often said that it started with uh, a Jap Chinese master named Dongshan Liangjie, or in Japanese, Tozan Ryokai. And um, you, there are lots of books you can look this up and you don't have to remember this, this all. But Dongshan lived in the 800s uh, and uh, he, uh, is credited with founding this this branch this this particular lineage of Zen. There are many other good, wonderful lineages of Zen, uh, but in some ways the name Saodong or Soto goes back before him to the sixth ancestor Huineng, who uh, is a there's a sutra about him. But he was an illiterate woodcutter from uh, Canton in the south. He he. he he, uh, so the point is not a great, some great learning or understanding. Anybody can awaken at any point to this reality. And it's not that the, so in other schools of Zen, they emphasize what I thought, think you meant by sudden, having some sudden flashy dynamic experience of realization or of understanding or of seeing Buddha or something like that. That happens in Soto Zen too, but that's not, we don't emphasize that. That's not the point. The point is, how do we bring our deeper awareness and communion with ultimate reality into everyday activity, into our world? So for me, Chicago in 2018, you know, how do we express Buddha in this life, in this world, in this place? Uh, but the lineage goes back to Dongshan and then the, the ancestor, the sixth ancestor, there were several ancestors before him, going back to the sixth ancestor, all of whom we study, uh, amongst many others. And uh, one thing that they emphasized was not getting caught up in stages. The sense of this immediate awareness of deeper reality that's always available. So it's not about stages of accomplishment and then you get higher. It's not about getting high. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something that is present. Um, but our practice is to deepen our realization of that and our expression of that. And then there, are many, there were many teachers in the lineage between Dongshan and Dogen, who was a Japanese monk in the 1200s, 1200 to 1253 are his dates. He went to China and studied for four years and then met a Soto or Tsaodong teacher and brought back that teaching to Japan and founded what's now called Soto Zen. He didn't call it that. But uh, this lineage that he founded then over many, many, many generations eventually came to America through my teacher's teacher, Suzuki Roshi, but also other wonderful uh, Soto Zen teachers from Japan who came to America in the 60s and since. So um, Dogen is uh, a major, an important figure. I've done, I've translated a number of his, a lot of his writings and written about books about him. Um, 
his teachings, he left a large body of writings, very long, you know, maybe more than any Zen teacher, uh, uh, a couple of huge different volumes, but uh, his writing is very difficult to understand. It's kind of for, like reading for American people trying to read Chaucer or maybe Beowulf. It's, it's, in, it's in very old Japanese. So, but there are many translations now available, decent translations in English. So, um, so, so part, of what, um, part of what we do in Soto is also study Dogen, but also the basic teachings of Mahayana Buddhism and the sutras and uh, the Bodhisattva teachings and, uh, and also many other great Zen masters from, from, from various lineages, not just from uh, Soto. So uh, there, there's a lot I can say about Dogen and his teachings and about uh, other Soto teachings. The other thing about Dogen is he uh, was a prodigy. You know, he was like, like Mozart or, or Beethoven or Shakespeare or somebody like that. He, he, when he was 12, he'd read all of the Buddhist canon. And when he went to Japan, to China, he, he learned all of the, the koan literature, the, the teaching, old teaching stories. So he brought that back to Japan. He introduced it to Japan. So most of, many of his writings, most of his writings are commenting on these old teaching stories, the koans that call, that, uh, that so are part of Chinese lore. So that's putting up to the next question. So what is a koan then? Well, in some, in some different lineages, koans are, uh, well, what they're, I can say first what they are not. They are not nonsense riddles that you have to solve. That's a common misunderstanding. Oh, really? They're not, non, not nonsense. They're, they're not illogical. Maybe they're unlogical in terms of Western rational linear logic, but they're about the logic, their language about words about, they're more like poetry than uh, didactic teachings. They're, they are about the logic of awakening and the logic of uh, keeping alive that the tradition of awakening. So uh, in some traditions, Rinzai, and it's, it's, it's uh, Rinzai and Soto are the two main branches in Japan, and there are a lot of stereotypes about them which are not true, but uh, like that Soto does meditation and Rinzai does koans, both do both, uh, both traditions do both. Uh, but there are particular ways of working with koans. So mostly in, a, in the West, we now think of koan practice as this, uh, uh, most people think of it as the tradition of uh, working through a curriculum of uh, koans of different teaching stories from some of the great koan collections. That's one way that koans are practiced. That's not the way in Soto, and that's not what Dogen did, but we use these stories in Soto as teaching stories about uh, our own practice. These are stories about, most of them, many of them are about teachers from, you know, the 800s and 700s and 900s in China. So these stories have been studied for a thousand years because they are, they have something to say about our own practice and life now, and continue to do that. So uh, it's not that they are that you have to. They are not nonsense, even though they may seem uh, paradoxical to our logical sense of things. They, they're, they're, again, they're like poetry. They're language that unlanguages language. They're language that 
on languages, our usual sense of subject verb object where we think of the world as a bunch of dead objects out there that we have to verb or that we have to prevent prevent ourselves from being verbed by so uh, these uh, koan teachings are that dogen commented on extensively in various different modes uh, you know are resources teaching stories like uh, like teaching like parables maybe from the bible or other kinds of teaching stories that are used in other spiritual traditions uh, one thing is that Zen famously claims to be direct pointing to mind or heart beyond words and letters. This beyond words and letters, though, doesn't mean that we don't, and it's different in different lineages, but in Soto and particularly in the branch of Soto I'm in, we do study the words and letters of the ancient masters. And ironically, for, for a tradition that claims to be beyond words and letters, Zen has produced a huge volume of literature because in each generation, in many generations, these old stories are commented on. The koan, the koan collections, the famous koan collections, when, and there were many of them in China. Now there are just a few that are focused on maybe, but those are the original teaching story with commentary. And then there's commentary on the commentary and then each, many teachers make comments on those commentaries. So we have this huge, huge volume of literature from a tradition that claims to be beyond words and letters. There's some teachers in some uh, lineages who are, take this beyond words and letters very literally. Like I practiced with a wonderful teacher in, in Japan, did a retreat with him in a place where they're liter the students are literally not allowed to read. <laughs> That's a, a kind of, fundamentalist idea, literal idea of this. But anyway, um, the koans are teaching stories that we use. Of course, we also use the teaching stories from our own everyday lives and try to face uh, using uh, various resources from the Bodhisattva tradition of uh, universal awakening, the precepts and transcendent practices, and, and, and look at how they appear in our everyday activity and work with a teacher with how to develop and unfold them. So it's not about uh, gradual enlightenment, it's about um, developing our ability to uh, actually be able to be helpful in the world and to share this reality. Hmm. So like, a, can you give me a, like a taste of a koan is, like an example? I know maybe we don't have enough time, but you know, if you could. Oh, no, some of them are very short. Um, one of the ones that I use first is uh, from a, um, uh, a great teacher named Jiaojo or Joshu in Japan. Uh, Joshu in Japanese, Jiaojo in Chinese. Um, a different lineage from, from Soto, but we study him and we study many teachers. Uh, he, when he was a young, he lived to be 120. Maybe that's why he's considered maybe the greatest teacher of all time because he just had so had a long time to 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 teach and practice. But he was great. He, um, but when he was a young man, a young student, or when he was early in his studies, he asked his teacher, whose name is Nanchuan or Nansen in Japanese, "What is the way? What is the Tao?" And Nanchuan said, "Ordinary mind, everyday mind is the way." And Jiaojo said, oh, well, then how do I, how do I get to that? And Nantua said, the more you try and get there, the further away you are. And then Jiaojo, who was a very good student, of course, asked, well, then how do I know if it's the way or not? 
and nonchalant state. It's not a matter of knowing or not knowing. Knowing is just some fantasy. Not knowing is just blankness. When you reach the true way beyond doubt, it is vast and open as the sky. So that's the whole story. There's a whole lot that can be said about it. But anyway, that's the everyday mind uh, is the way story. Hmm. That's uh, something we can think about it every day, I guess, right? Well, a part of the, part of the practice of koans is not, one can think about them, but also to just be present with them, hmm. to sit with them, to allow them to be part of your life. So you um, might memorize it or write it down or something and just... wake up when you wake up, uh, recite it, and then forget about it, but just let it be part of our everyday experience. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So uh, you talk about koan, and, uh, you know, when I hear about koan, I often hear uh, the word genjo koan. So is this something special, a special koan that uh, Soto practice, or we don't know anything about it? Well, it's related to the koans, but it's, it's actually, uh, there's a lot to say about that. There are many number of good books in English about Genja Koan. Genja Koan is a particular writing by Dogen, one of his more famous writings. It's an essay about, and it, um, there are various translations um, uh, of, of what the word Genja Koan means. Uh, it, the first part of it is to manifest. Um, one translation in English is actualizing the fundamental point. Another translation of Genja Koan is the issue at hand. Anyway, there are many ways, to, there are numbers of ways to translate it. But it's a particular t- writing, particular essay by Dogen, who I mentioned, Ehei Dogen, who was the founder of Japanese Soto Zen in the 1200s. Um, and, and there are many, it's a, long, it's a lo- lo- longish essay. It was originally a letter to a layperson in Kyushu, the southern, southern island of Japan. Um, but there are a few, um, there are a few uh, expressions in there that might be helpful. For example, Dogen says, uh, when you project, uh, when, when you carry yourself forward to experience the myriad things, that's delusion. So this is the delusion we all you know, live in or train to. We carry ourselves, we project ourselves out onto the world. We think the world is out there separate from ourselves. So that's, that's what's called delusion by Dogen. Mm. Then he says, when the myriad things experience themselves, arise and experience themselves, that's awakening. So when, and that includes, of course, you know, each of us. But when, every, when everything arises and experiences itself together, that's what's, what uh, Dogen calls awakening or enlightenment. He also says that, uh, paraphrasing now, he also says that uh, enlightened people are enlightened about their delusions. They study their delusions. Uh, they understand, they experience their t- delusions. Deluded people are deluded about enlightenment. So that's another way he decide, to, defines the difference. Um, <laughs> there's an, there's, so he says many wonderful things in that essay against your koan. Uh, one thing is here is the way, here the place unfolds. So it's about being right here. It's not about being in. Japan or China or Tibet or, you know, uh, it's about how do we actually be present and aware and express this deep awareness in this 
situation, this present situation mm -hmm. arises. So there's many more things I can say about Genjo Koan, but that's a little bit. He also, oh, I'll just say, add one other line. He says, to study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by myriad things. And, all, and body and mind of self and other drop away. But uh, the point is to study the self. So what's difficult about doing zazen, zen meditation, is not getting your legs into some funny... Uh, lotus position, but that we see ourselves, we see our own patterns of grasping and anger and confusion, and and zazen, this practice of this physical practice, it's a physical practice of sitting upright and relaxed, and paying attention and breathing, and um, what happens in the middle of that is that our that thoughts come up and feelings come up. And we don't try and get rid of them. So the point is not to have a blank mind. That's, uh, that's uh, lobotomy Zen. You know, you can easily just, uh, you know, have an operation and get rid of your brain. But, uh, but so, the, so it's not about getting rid of thoughts, although there are times when there are spaces between the thoughts and that's, that can be lovely. But it's actually about being present in the middle of feelings, in the middle of thoughts. So thoughts and feelings arise, we let them go. They may come up again. This is, and, and as part of that, we see our own grasping, greed, hate, and delusion, we say, grasping and anger and confusion. And we learn our own patterns of reacting. And the, the more we can become intimate with that and, and uh, feel the way we react, the more we don't need to be pushed around by it, the more we have a space to, to uh, not react based on our karmic patterns of grasping and anger and frustration and confusion and fear and so forth, we have a chance to respond from something deeper. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. I was going to ask you about Zazen, but you know, you already answered. So, but what, what I was, when I did Zazen and I, I, when I look uh, into the uh, white wall for a long time, it just drove me crazy. And uh, I was only thinking about when it's going to end. I think that's many of us who, uh, feel like this for the first time. So is there any advice for those people? Yeah, just keep sitting. Just keep, keep coming back to the wall. Just keep doing it. It's okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, you know, the uh, um, thoughts and feelings come up. Um, one of the great Japanese masters last century said uh, that just when you're sitting, your, your stomach continues to secrete digestive juices in the same way your brain continues to secrete thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be afraid of your thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, if you're uncomfortable in the sitting position, so I recommend some, in some schools they carry around a stick and they hit people if they, if they move. I just, you know, I'll say, just find a sitting position that is, uh, if not comfortable, at least that you can sit still and quietly for a while and if you have to change the position sitting in the meditation hall if it's really extremely painful just do it quietly uh, so um, my way of of practicing with this is very gentle it's not about reaching it's not about reaching some particular way of being each person has their own way of being buddha so i encourage and and, and also you know sasana is like a performance art you're performing Buddha. 
you're expressing Buddha on your seat in your own way. And uh, part of Zazen is also finding your inner dignity and inner creativity. So I encourage students to find their own way to be creative and expressive of their deepest understanding and deepest love in the world. That's what Zazen is about. Mm, great, great. So again, this is not that some kind of a state of mind that we want to achieve. Right. It's already there, but we don't know, we don't know it. It's, so you have to take time to stop and breathe and feel what, it, what, what is happening with this body-mind here today on our cushion beyond our ideas of who we are and beyond our ideas of what the world is. Those are just conditioned ideas. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And uh, now we're going to uh, go into a question about the Buzo, a Japanese Buddhist uh, sculptures. So uh, I heard one of the catalysts uh, uh, that you had uh, before, uh, before going into uh, Zen Buddhism. So you went to Japan and saw some uh, statues, and that's one of the catalysts I heard. So can you explain to us a little bit about it, please? Just, yeah, in terms of my own uh, personal coming to uh, practice, uh, as a teenager, I'd heard about Zen, and I, there were not many books in English then, very few. Uh, I maybe read some stories about, about Zen and had some idea, but it wasn't, it wasn't that. I, I just had the opportunity to live, to go visit Japan when I was 20. Uh, and I wasn't, didn't have any particular agenda, but I ended up going down to Kyoto and, and spending three months, I ended up spending three months going around to temples in Kyoto and Nara, mostly because of the Buddhist statues and also the Zen gardens. But just, uh, I was just totally uh, moved and impressed by the Buddhist statues, the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, and also the wrathful figures, the demons, just all that whole, the whole world of uh, the Butsuzo in Kyoto and Nara was just uh, mind-blowing for me, wonderful. Um, uh, particularly, I uh, appreciated Onke, the great Kamakura period uh, sculptor, um, who was uh, slightly earlier contemporary of Dogen, uh, in the 1200s, and also his his uh, he had a number of sons who were also great Buddhist uh, sculptors. Uh, so uh, I think Japanese people mostly heard of Onke. You, you've heard of Onke? Of course, of course, yes, sir. Yeah. So you say, of course, of course. All Japanese people know Onke. Yes. U N K E I. Almost no Americans have heard of Onke. Even people who've been practicing Buddhism for a long time. Onke is like the Japanese Michelangelo. Uh, he's a brilliant sculptor, and his whole school of, of um, uh, he actually, he was part of a guild of Buddhist sculptors, sculptors attached to the temples, and there had been civil wars in the period just before 1200, so a lot of the temples had been burned down and statues destroyed, so there was a great period of rebuilding temples and of re rebuilding Buddhist statues, statues of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So, uh, Onke is just amazing and wonderful, and I'm so, I, I feel very sad that American Buddhists don't know about him. Uh, and and, uh, the, the, and actually, they many uh, many people have seen these statues, but um, I was just totally impressed by uh, not just the Buddhist statues, also the 
temple architecture and the gardens and that whole world that I saw in Kyoto and Nara just blew me away when I was 20. I didn't know that I had, could have anything to do with it though. So I came after several months, I came back, went back to school in, in America. And uh, four years later in New York City, I met my first uh, uh, Buddhist teacher, my, my uh, Soto Zen um, uh, priest in, in the Upper West Side in New York and, 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 heard, and got instruction in Zazen and heard about Dogen and have been uh, practicing ever since. So, but in some ways that uh, experience of seeing those amazing, amazing, beautiful statues of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and uh, a whole range of different Buddhist figures from the Buddhist cosmology in Kyoto and Nara was one, not the only, but was one catalyst for uh, me. So, um, and then uh, later on, because I was so impressed with the Bodhisattva uh, context of uh, Japan and Kyoto and Nara, I uh, wrote a book about the Bodhisattvas, Faces of Compassion and Classic Bodhisattvas in their modern expression, talking about how the Bodhisattva, the major Bodhisattva figures, the seven major Bodhisattva figures in East Asia are alive in the world today and explaining about who they are. So uh, one of the books I've done. But um, yeah, that, that really impressed me. And uh, partly, you know, America, some American Zen people think of Zen as sort of this separate thing, but it's really goes back to the Mahayana Bodhisattva tradition. We, we do Bodhisattva, pra Bodhisattva practice based on the uh, precepts from the Bodhisattva tradition. The Bodhisattva means enlightening being, awakening being, so dedicated to universal awakening. So when we do Zazen, it's not just about us. It's not just a self-help practice. It does help us individually to unfold the possibilities of our life, but we really do it for the sake of all beings. J Japanese Soto temples have many Buddhist statues. American uh, Soto Zen temples have statues of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. They're part and in, in our chants, like our liturgy, like our meal chant, uh, it mentions names of Bodhisattvas. So it's part of our tradition. It's the background of our tradition. All of East Asian Buddhism, uh, all the different East Asian Buddhist traditions, the, um, from the Mahayana Sutras, the Great Vehicle Sutras, they're called, uh, are based in this uh, tradition of the Bodhisattvas. And so the images of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and in Zen particularly also, I mentioned this in the beginning, the ancestors, the historical figures in the lineage, in the traditions who kept the tradition alive, there's also statues of them sometimes. So yeah, so we, we respect them, we, we uh, study about them sometimes. Um, so um, I would say most Soto Zen people like Buddhist statues. Beautiful, beautiful. That's great to hear. So uh, yeah, uh, that was a, a great information. Uh, thank you very much today, uh, Reverend. So uh, I would like to ask you, so you gave us a lot of information, but you know, I, we would like to follow you. We even we want to buy your book or, you know, Please tell us, how can I find you? Yes, um, I'm the teacher now at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, and you can go to ancientdragon.org, one ancient dragon, one word, .org, and, and see about our temple in Chicago. And you can go to the section on books and see about the many books I've done. Uh, a lot of them are about Dogen, 
but also about other about a couple, a couple of Chinese teachers in the Soto or Chaodong tradition. Dongshan, who I mentioned, and Hongzhe is the name of the Chinese teacher in the century before Dogen, who was a brilliant teacher and who Dogen uh, cites a lot. Uh, so, uh, the, so uh, and the book about the Bodhisattva figures that may be most uh, relevant for your uh, viewers, again, is Faces of Compassion, uh, archi classic Bodhisattva archetypes and their modern expression is published by Wisdom Publications. And it's um, a, um, uh, goes through the major different Bodhisattva figures, Manjushri, the Bodhisattva Wisdom, uh, Kanzeon or Kuan Yin of Alakiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, uh, Maitreyo or Miroku in Japanese, the future Buddha, Jizo Bodhisattva, very important in Japan, who helps uh, women and children and, and people in difficult hellish realms. He goes into hell realms to help people. Uh, and, and many others, from Malakirti, Shakyamuni Buddha himself, uh, Samanta Bhadra, very important Bodhisattva, Fugen in Japanese. So uh, for people who are interested in Buddhist statues, if you want to understand what these Bodhisattva statues are about, this book gives information about the iconography, but also about which schools and sutras they're associated with, about their folklore, about um, uh, what, what practices they particularly emphasize. So it's a way of looking at uh, having more information to look at the Bodhisattva statues particularly. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you again. So uh, if you guys think this information is useful, make sure to subscribe my YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and like me on my Facebook, because that's how we do it in the 21st century, if you like it or not. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Thank you. So we learned a lot about the Zen, uh, Soto Zen today. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciated it.